Amy went missing under suspicious circumstances, and the husband is always the first suspect. There's twists, turns, and shocking violence as David Fincher returned to thrillers with Gone Girl. Welcome everyone to The Collector's Cut. I am Peter, and joining me as always is David. I did not hit her. It's not true. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't do an actual <laughs> quote from this movie. I, I, I'm just frustrated that you blue balls this with no high mark at the end. I, I, I wasn't sure because this is very early in the review whether I could say BS in okay, the terms okay. of the actual quote. All right, okay. You were being safe for the YouTube yeah. nasty bots. Okay. I'm well, sorry. Welcome everyone, it's a movie podcast, we are here to talk about Gone Girl, we are working through the works of David Fincher, we have done most of his films at this point, in fact, we're recording this in advance of course, but last week we would have talked about The Killer, hopefully that was good, uh, but this is our penultimate episode of David Fincher, and it is Gone Girl, which came out in 2014, it's Fincher returning to that thriller genre that he is so known for, and mm-hmm. we'll get into, we'll start spoiler free of course as we do. And we'll warn you before we go into the spoilers somewhere later on in the in the video. But yeah, this is uh, this is what we're here for. So uh, I assume this wasn't a first time watch for you. Correct. I think I watched this pretty much as it was coming out. Definitely not in theaters, but very soon afterwards, I caught this one. I did see it in theaters. In fact, I saw it twice in theaters. Ooh. Uh, and I haven't seen it since then. But obviously, I liked it enough to see it a second time. So clearly, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so I remembered this quite well because I had seen it twice uh, when it came out. But mm. it had been a little bit of time, so it was interesting going back to it now that it is nine years old. I was going to say, it's <laughs> nearly a decade old, and uh, I feel like this thing came out three years ago. I know. It feels, like, it feels like a new movie, but there are also little things in the movie where you go, oh, no, some things ha- like the phones they're using feel quite dated yeah. and stuff. Like that. It's like, oh, oh God, I'm old. It's, uh, it's <laughs> making me feel the, the, the passage of time is a slow descent a, down the drain. On you go. There's a repeated thing coming back of um, a robot dog. And I'm like, oh, yeah. that feels like just so like already out of place. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very minor plot point. It's not like a big mm-hmm. thing, but yeah, like they reference it a few times, and it's like, yeah, this is this is definitely of an era. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really think of twenty fourteen as being a different era, but oh, I yeah, guess no. we're we're starting to get to that point where the early twenty tens are kind of their own era now. Twenty sixteen is when the transition happened into current era. Yeah, I wonder what a few big events caused that. <laughs> ah, Nothing of importance, nothing we need to go into. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yes, we'll get to it. Obviously, the premise of this is that Ben Affleck plays a character named Nick Dunn, and his wife, played by Rosamund Pike, Amy, goes missing, and the police investigate, and it's a lot of the, the sort of the, what is he doing in those first few days as he's talking to the police, looking for his wife, what is the evidence saying? Obviously, since he's the hu- husband and his wife is missing, there's a lot of, you know, eyes and fingers starting to point in his direction, and I'll leave it there, because this is a movie with a lot of big spoilers that you do yes. have to avoid. And I remember seeing it for the first time, and when being asked by others like if they should go see it or if I recommend it or whatever, I remember really having to emphasize that it does take some big turns. Not in a bad way, but just in, like, it's not exactly what you think it's going to be. It's going to do something else, and mm-hmm. that is that is what it is. So 
Uh, we'll get into Gone Girl here. Uh, yeah, that, that's the basic premise. So I'll just ask David. We'll get, we'll get the general thoughts out of the way, and then we'll dive into yes. some of the details before we go to spoilers. So, David, mm-hmm. how do you feel about Gone Girl? I like it. I think that it is a very well done movie. I am trying to dance on eggshells here to make sure I don't give away any of like end game or even mid game stuff of this movie. Um, but it is, I, I remember when I first watched it, I was so entranced by the twists and turns that it took that that was kind of the focus for me is this mystery thriller aspect to it. But on the rewatch, I think what really got me is how much it is just a full statement on how you're perceived is everything how like the optics are the truth nowadays and it's kind of a commentation on that of you could be 100 percent innocent but if you don't have the media on your side if the story is not going your way it doesn't matter and i think it's really impressive the way this movie tackles that subject yeah i think on a first viewing you are just sort of on the hinges of what the plot are you're kind of waiting for to see what happens and the big swings that it takes and where it goes you're mm-hmm. just kind of along for that ride in that first viewing i think coming back to it now like obviously everything you just said there is absolutely true that is a big part of the movie i think for mm-hmm. me watching it now the biggest thing that stuck out was just paying attention to the themes and what it was actually kind of poking at about relationships male female relationships mm-hmm. expectations of your partner uh what the perception just to go to our is there of what that relationship is from the outside what the perception mm-hmm. of you to your partner is and vice versa and when that hits some shaky ground and like how does a relationship deteriorate that is i remember one of the running jokes after this came out is that if your relationship with your significant other mm-hmm. is slightly rocky like you're not in a great place don't watch this movie because you will break up after <laughs> like oh yeah it's, it's like a glaring big like hey relationships can be miserable depressing things and can lead Mm. you down a dark path and get out now while you can this is this is one of those few movies where they specifically point on the fact of like yeah 2008 there was a recession just in general people lost their jobs and people were hit with hard times but a lot of like the movies that took the stance of we'll get through this we'll we'll make it through delivered on that they said yeah no we will make it through this we will be okay this movie really took the time to say like okay, but the world doesn't work like that sometimes. Sometimes things just get worse and worse, and it's showing just how deteriorated this was from what was a happy relationship, probably not like a year prior. Yeah. Uh, so I like it a lot too. In fact, I think it's one of Fincher's best movies. Not his best, mm-hmm. but one of his best. Um, I, I think I was very impressed with it when it came out. Um, I, I remember going to see it because just, just a b- bit of history on the ratings you get in the UK. So obviously in the US you have PG-13R, uh, so on and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. In the UK, we have U and PG, which are the two sort of kid ones. And then after that, you have a 12, you have a 15, and you have an 18. And they're all pretty obvious what they are. You have to be 12 to see a 12, you have to be 15 or up to see a 15, 18 or up for an 18. Right. And back in like the 80s and 90s the bbfc which does the ratings here that that's our mpaa effectively they were very strict and movies that were r-rated in the u.s would almost always be an 18 and then even then sometimes they'd still force the studios to cut them a little bit because they saw certain types of violence or certain types mm-hmm. of 
of bloodshed to be too extreme. It was a very conservative time in the 80s as far as like the, the, the politics were concerned. I, I'm strictly remembering back to our Turtles review of no yes. nunchucks. Yes, absolutely. That was a, a, yes. a an offshoot of that. But as we went into the 2000s, that, that very much changed. A lot of things that used to have to be censored were now passing uncut for new releases, things like that. And I was a teenager in the 2000s, so I, I was there sort of in this transition period where it was kind of weird what movies I would be allowed to go see, because they, they tended to enforce it a little bit. It's not like an R rating in the US where if you go with a parent, you can go see it. Like, mm -hmm. no, if you're under 18 and it's an 18, you just, you cannot go. But by the time I got to 18, it felt like the 18 releases that were pretty much all gone. Other than the odd extreme example, most R-rated movies would become a 15. It was only mm. when really specific things, usually sexualized violence or something like that, right. would sort of bump it up. And I remember going to see this and not knowing what the rating was. And before the movie, it always comes up saying what it is. And it came up with the the 18, which is a very strong mm. red, right? With the you know red circle with the 18 written on it. And I remember just mm. thinking, oh... I can't remember the last time I saw an 18 in the theater. And when the movie plays out, look, for a lot of it, I was thinking, that seems fine. But there is a moment fairly near the end where I'm like, oh, it just earned its 18. Like, it, yeah. like it, there's, there's one scene that absolutely earns that hard 18 rating that it, that it has in the UK. So uh, very interesting. If anything, I'm a little bit surprised that maybe even didn't get harsher than an R rating in the US. I, you know... Yeah, that's the thing is that because the MPAA just plays ball with the studio pretty much all the time, I, I don't think any movie that's been put out by a major studio in the past at least 30 years has gotten an NC-17 rating. It's been a long-ass time for sure, yeah. yeah. You don't really hear it, but, and again, that's because probably standards have also laxed with them as yeah. well, so... Mm. You know, th things have changed over the years with that, but I just remember being like, oh shit, this is actually a full-on 18, and it kind of earns it by the end, but... yeah. Yeah, uh, so no, it's a very good movie. Uh, performances are, are pretty great. Uh, there's a few mm -hmm. key performances. I think this is the first time I ever saw Carrie Coon in something. This was before... This she... is the first time Carrie Coon was in anything. This was like her first movie. That is so weird, because she's already like in, what, her mid to late 30s in this? Mm -hmm. Like, she's, you know, yeah. she's, she didn't start as like a, you know, 18-year-old playing high school students. She's like... No, just... she, did a, she did a couple of uh, TV shows and stuff like that. Right, But okay. this was the first time she was pulled up to Hollywood. That's, that's super fascinating, but she because she went on to be in the leftovers not too long after this, and I remember going, "Oh, it's the sister from, from Gone Girl." So mm -hmm. she plays uh, Ben Affleck's sister in this, her her twin sister, in fact, uh, yep. who's kind of his like confidant, his like sort of close friend, and is kind of like a the real person anchor to the movie when everything else is going crazy. She seems like the normal one who's kind of oh yeah keeping everything down she, to earth. She's in any other movie, if this was like a girl-girl friendship instead of a girl-boy, she's the snarky best friend. The mm. one who's just throwing out all this sass. And she's very funny because of it. Yeah, so obviously we have Affleck and we have Rosamund Pike. Um, mm -hmm. Who, at this point, I really only knew Rosamund Pike from uh, The World's End. I think at this point. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. I was looking through her filmography. Obviously she's popped up in a lot of places. She's been around, but I couldn't say where I first saw her. If anything, it might have been this depending on the order I saw this and World's End in. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure she has a long career. Probably they've done a lot of British TV and stuff, but I just never mm. seen her before World's End. So it was just, it was kind of wild that I saw World's End and then like two years later, she was like headlining a David Fincher movie. That yeah, was... the only thing I'm seeing here is, and I know this wouldn't be big for you, but Die Another Day, the James Bond film. She was a Bond oh, girl, apparently. Okay. 
Fair enough, I suppose. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, Tyler Perry's in this as a lawyer. Delivering one of the few roles that I really enjoy Tyler Perry in. Well, it's, a, like, it's, it's just a regular role, which I think is yeah. why. <laughs> Pretty much. I don't have to see him in a fat suit or whatever the hell he wants to do this week. Yeah. Uh, Kim Dickens plays a detective uh, who I've definitely seen in something else. I can't even tell you what it is just now, but she, I think around this time she was in a couple of things. Uh, but yeah, we have a, a few other people popping up here. Patrick Fugit, who's like uh, the other cop, he was in a TV show called Outcast for a while, mm. a few years later, so I know his face from that. Um, Neil Patrick Harris, of course, shows up as a character later on. I, I can't really say too much about him yet, but he's yeah. in there. Uh, and there's probably another face or two that you might recognize throughout if you're... You know. uh, Emil Emily Rutajkowski. I know she's been in quite a few things here. I think it's oh. mostly uh, Entourage she was in. Okay, There was okay. some other thing she was in there recently. I can't remember what it was. I'm not seeing it. But yeah, no, I I, I recognized her name because she was, um, she was in... This was a big role for her. She was playing a role that's kind of spoilery. Yeah, you but, can't say it's redacted, yeah. But she had been in nothing. Like, if I said Carrie Coon had been in nothing, she has been in actually nothing. She was in a music video for Robin Thicke, and that's it. And she was pulled into this movie. So that is extreme upwards mobility in her regard. Yep. Uh, Boyd Holbrook, I don't even recognize him, but he's in this as well. Oh, okay. You know, he'd later be in Logan, he'd be in The Predator. Okay, uh, all right. But he does have a small role about. in this as well, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, it's a pretty interesting cast. It's kind of like a a weird mix. And, yeah, it's so weird that this is Carrie Coon's first, like, proper movie. Because mm -hmm. uh, I just know her from a bunch of stuff now. But, hey. Yep. So, yeah, good cast. Uh, Fincher's Direction. It does look like a Fincher movie. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, definitely early on. But it has evolved a little bit. It does feel like he's playing with tone a little bit. Especially early on, there's kind of like a, a recurring motif early where we're sort of seeing flashbacks of how the relationship started. And it's very dreamlike. It's very different to anything I've ever seen Fincher yeah. do. Uh, the music plays I, a big part of that, of course. Yeah, I think that's definitely very intentional where it is, like you said, giving this sort of ethereal quality to kind of tell the audience that this is, you know, probably true. This is stuff that has happened, but it is something that's also played up as more romantic, even just in the tone of it is, just to contrast of how bad it's gotten in modern day. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely trying to give that contrast of, like, the start and the end of the relationship and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, or is it the end? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah. No, I mean, I think the movie uh, is good. I'd forgotten it was two and a half hours, but to its credit, it does actually move at quite a reasonable pace. I never, I watched it in one sitting. I never, I don't even think I paused it to go to the bathroom. I think it was... I paused it specifically because I started it bef like an hour before dinner time, so I just Fair had enough. to get some food, but yeah, yeah, yeah it wasn't because it... I was bored with the movie or anything. Yeah, I think it... Because it is a definitely a movie of parts, there's a big thing that happens about just over an hour in that completely mm -hmm. sort of changes things up a lot, and it feels like the end of an act and like a big like and almost in like oh, yeah. movies always have acts, of course, and you talk about acts and the structure of them. But I feel like with this movie in particular, like the play has that like act break where you, you could have an intermission. There is that moment yeah. where it does feel like a big huge revelation hits, and then it starts this really new like yeah. side to the story. 
like in the play when they have to do the intermission it's because they need to do a major like setting change they yes. need to change the backdrops and all that and this movie has exactly that yeah absolutely so uh it's honestly it's very thrilling uh, there's a lot of details i'm sure we won't mention all of them here but it's it's sure. got lots of ideas we should mention it's based on a book mm-hmm. uh which i've never read but same I, yeah. It struck me, I, I've definitely seen the works of Gillian Flynn around. I've seen, uh, what is it, Sharp Objects is another one that I think got a lot of praise when it came out. But yeah. Yeah. I, I never read them, never really had an interest to, but it seems like the same sort of things as, um, oh God, what was the, at the beginning, actually it, it would have been this month's bonus, wouldn't it? The Snowman, where it's that sort of like, airport book thriller like the kind of thing that you just pick up for a cheap read sort of thing it struck me as that sort of vibe yeah although if the book has everything this movie has i would suspect that there is actually a lot of strong themes and a lot of commentary in there uh which maybe elevates it above that type of caliber Mm -hmm. uh where (laughs) whereas yeah i'm not going to stick up for the snowman check out the uh (laughs) bonus episode over in patreon.com slash tv it's our last bonus episode because the criterion show is going to be a patreon it's going to start next month but you can check out our thoughts in the absolutely abysmal film, The Snowman, starring Michael Fassbender. Uh, hey, wasn't he just in The Killer? I wonder was. how he performed in that. I wonder too. I'm sure we had opinions on it last week. Yeah. So, yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think, we probably, I think we have to dance around too much with this one. So I think oh, it's yeah. probably an early spoiler blanket here where we're just mm-hmm. going to dive in. So spoilers now for Gone Girl. You have been warned, and we're going to sort of tackle this. Uh, I think, obviously, I mean, we'll probably roughly go in order, but I think it's very easy to kind of take it as the first hour as almost its own movie, and then shift over into the second part of it, which Mm. is, you know, uh, well, there's an opening shot, which you you don't realize at the start is actually set after all of the story, which would be a spoiler to say that to anyone, because obviously you're like, hey... They're lying down together and he's looking at her head. But the first things he says are really horrific. He's like, sometimes I wonder if what would I what would happen if I bashed your freaking brains in? See, he says it like <laughs> that, but then he's he frames it in more of a metaphorical sense where he's like, unspool your brains so I can know what you're thinking. Yes. It's like, okay, good save there, buddy, I guess. You no, know, I, I think that's part the part of the movie is that it's setting you off in this foot to suspect that Ben Affleck's character is capable of doing something bad. Uh, yeah. and then that's kind of the point of the movie is that that's what the press and the public seem to think for a lot of it but mm-hmm. in reality he's very innocent of the things that he has been accused of i i think on the first watch i agree that it set me off on the foot of ben affleck might be guilty but on the secondary watch knowing where it goes it set me more off on the path of ben affleck doesn't know when to shut up he doesn't know how to present himself to the public and get the media on his side. Because well, that is a thing that just well, keeps coming back. Well, hold on. To be fair, this opening is just an inner monologue. This is not him oh, saying yeah. it to anyone. <laughs> but no, but I'm saying like it's yeah. presenting it to us, the audience, as if we are like the media sort of thing. We are the people who are consuming this. Mm, okay, okay. Uh, so yeah, it's basically the morning she disappears. He goes to the, the bar that he owns with his sister. He hangs out with her. And things clearly aren't amazing. You know, he's kind of avoiding going home. And he mentions it's, the fifth anniversary. Yeah, it's their anniversary, and he is dreading it. Yeah. So that gives us a sense of where they are now. And clearly his sister doesn't like her very much. He makes a couple of little comments here or there. You know, just, just little things to let you know how she, where she stands. And of course he gets a phone call 
from his neighbor that his door's open and the cat's outside so you know, he comes home he picks up the cat and he goes in and to his surprise there's a the, the table next to the kitchen is all smashed this glass table's all over the place it looks mm-hmm. like there's been some kind of a struggle and he phones the police and that's when kim dickens character detective boney comes in and starts to look around ask questions notices a little smidge of blood above the the stove in the kitchen and mm. starts looking around uh and there's kind of a meta context to all this and it's actually a good little laugh when this happens where they go into a drawer upstairs and it literally has a there's an envelope saying clue one and she says it looks like we found our first clue and then the camera yeah. goes down and you see it saying clue one and we've already been giving some context for this from the for the audience because ben affleck did say to his sister oh yeah that scavenger hunt thing she does right. every year for anniversary she's you know i'm dreading having to do it this year because i hate doing it now but <laughs> so it's set up for us so we understand the context but obviously when you look at the movie as a whole you realize that no she is leaving the first clue for the police as well right. it's, it's, you know, it's a whole th- it's, it's working in layers there's a lot go- there's a lot going on at the same oh, yeah. time no there's there's huge once we get like towards the end and it all starts wrapping up i've got a bunch to say but i do like how when he's talking to the sister it began as like this wonderful little thing that sent them down memory road or memory lane on their um relationship mm. where it's like oh this first clue is you know like the first place that you kissed me or stuff like that and it was stuff that he knew but over time the clues have gotten more and more like niche and tiny little moments and so when he isn't able to figure them out that's basically just free range for her to get upset at him and he's like great i have to do that every year for the rest of my life yeah and likewise these clues on this scavenger hunt are not moments between them necessarily they're more Mm -hmm. moments where he has done something that she's upset about namely having Mm -hmm. an affair with a much younger woman which will we'll talk about that's emily ratajowski there you go that's her name uh so yeah like all this is good and obviously intercut through all this segment which i think we'll just we'll talk about it here as one clump Mm -hmm. which is all of the flashbacks to the happy relationship and Mm -hmm. i I guess just this entire device because eventually towards the end of this hour the police do find this diary this journal that she's written that she's Mm -hmm. been writing all these things in and you kind of get this context even even before it reveals that she is alive which by the way the line where she says i'm like i feel so much better now that i'm dead or whatever the line is when she says it that mm-hmm. way you're like oh wait a minute like i think even so that's a great line to reveal that she's alive and it cuts to her in the car but i think even mm-hmm. before that see as you're getting towards the end of these journal entries where she's talking about things like i think even on the first view and i started to get this feeling like something about this feels fabricated like something about this feels like oh no this yeah. is the journal you're writing to leave as evidence for the police and as ben affleck himself points out when he sees what the last page says i'm worried my husband will kill me he's like that's very convenient that that's the last line in there <laughs> yeah i guess i guess i'll bring it up here then i love the fact as i was saying before this movie is all about optics it's all about how things appear versus how they actually are and how people perceive them and a big thing that they keep coming back to is that the media the news is basically creating this story based off of nothing they're just going off of this guy looks kind of guilty therefore here's why he's done all these horrible murderous things and i love how the diary and this entire story that amy tells is just that it is a well-constructed and involved story and it's something that's made with the purpose of being like the dramatic twist at the end sort of thing she's constructed this so that it is 
basically pop food or uh, popcorn story being told to an audience. And she is literally a writer. They're both writers. That's right. their profession. So exactly. Like that, but it's, that, that, she's that, she's constructed this whole thing to be entertaining from beginning to end. And this all feeds back into her character origin, which we also get in these flashbacks. So with the flashbacks, we get the start of the relationship, their first sort of like romantic kiss in the sugar that's mm-hmm. like blowing around from the bakery and all that stuff. Uh, but, we, but we find out about her parents. We find out that her parents got rich writing mm-hmm. children's books based on her life, but they always kind of like made the fictional version better. You know, she points right. out that, hey, I gave up cello. So then next book for Amazing Amy, which was the name of the book series, she mm-hmm. was became a prodigy. She was this fantastic cellist. Um, yep. Oh, I didn't like volleyball. Next book, she won a volleyball competition. Yep. You know, it's like this constant thing. So even this idea of the perception that she's had to grow up with and everyone around her is like, oh, you're the basis for this 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 book character that we all love. So you must right. be that. And she has to like put up with all these questions. She becomes this kind of prop for everyone. Which, mm-hmm. in, in a really solid way, kind of like lays the groundwork when you look back on it as to why she thinks the way she does about everything in her life and about yeah. what her relationship is and the people around her. So we'll talk about that more, I think, in the back half when we've got the full like a picture of the events story, that yeah. we get to mm-hmm. with her. But all that stuff is set up here in all these flashbacks. Um, the, the sort of like the day-to-day, because I think the first hour takes place over the first three or four days after mm-hmm. the, the disappearance, you know, because it does come up every day with this is, you know, two days gone, three days gone, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, it, you know, all these details that come out and all these moments, and I think some of it is for the purpose of the audience. I think I noticed this shift in that first hour where the first 20 or so minutes, it's very much just telling us things because we're seeing Ben Affleck, you know, accidentally crack a smile when he's posing next to the missing poster which everyone goes why is this scumbag smiling today next to Mm -hmm. his missing poster of his wife uh and then the woman who tries to take a selfie with him and he smiles for it (laughs) look are are we going to come back to that scene or should i just talk about that scene oh you can talk about it now what what, what do you got to say about it so so the whole thing is that it's at a search party because the parents of amy are filthy rich and they are way over the top with trying mm-hmm. to find amy like immediately like the very first time that they get in front of cameras they're like we've already set up a tip line we've got a website oh, everyone it's very, contact it's, yeah, it's very clear that and the way that it's been implied their whole life that she has been this like asset to them they're mm-hmm. like i think they're thinking if she is dead if she's going to our body's going to turn up we're going to make a story out of this search to profit off it oh, later yeah. this is this but is like, all calculated on their part but like it doesn't feel like they're malicious it just feels like they genuinely have no other way of thinking about it it's the mm. only thing that they can handle it in that way um but as they're setting up this search party to do it this woman comes out and she's like, oh, hey, Nick, I, I'm sure you're going through a hard time. I'd love to love to get you like a casserole or something like that. And Nick smile, you know, Nick's kind. He's polite to this woman. And she asks for a selfie. He takes one. And without thinking about it, he smiles for the selfie. But he's already gotten in trouble for smiling next to the poster. So he just tells this woman like, uh, hey, uh, could you delete that? I just... Could you, I, I really and she is just offended she is <laughs> how dare you ask me to do i will share this with whoever i damn well please i mean like he agreed to the photo and she took the photo it has legally her intellectual property or, or copyright that, i should say or copyright. I, I understand that but like 
there is a certain level of just <laughs> yeah okay i understand especially like two not even two minutes ago literally 30 seconds prior she's like if there's anything i can do i'll, I'll get you a casserole or something anything at all she's flirting then, she's fr- no, no. she's basolutely flirting Absol- with him absolutely but then she says anything i can do and then he says could you please delete that and she's like no <laughs> screw you i will share this and it will be on the news tonight Man. The only the only woman who managed to out annoy me is the pregnant best friend, but I think she was supposed to annoy me. This one I wasn't sure about. Oh yeah, the 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 supposed best friend, uh, mm-hmm. which again just makes Ben Affleck look a liar when he says she has no friends. But then yep. this was something she did in secret. In fact, when she's explaining her plan later, she's like, "Oh, I befriended an idiot, <laughs> some <laughs> yeah. local who would believe whatever I tell her about my horrible husband, so that she would come out and say things like, oh, she warned me that he was dangerous mm-hmm. during all this.' And she does. She shows up and she whines. She's happy to get TV time to do an interview. She's milking it forever in this worse everyone's leeching off this which is obviously part of the themes of the of the yes. movie but the the bigger thing for me with the the relationship stuff and the themes is so much of this movie is about like the expectations of one another and you know when when amy's talking about her marriage with with uh, nick it, it becomes this thing where it's like you know you fell in love with this version of me and I fell in love with this version of you. And then as time went on during the marriage, that version disappeared. Now, obviously the flashbacks we see are not reliable, right? Once right. he starts being bad in those flashbacks, because we do see a scene in the flashbacks where he pushes her, right? They're having an argument about having yeah. a baby. He doesn't uh, want one and he, he pushes her. And it, does, you know, it doesn't look good, right? But then mm. by the time you realize, wait, like... All these things at the start of the flashbacks were were based in truth, right? They're a bit more dreamlike, as we said, but yeah. they're based in truth. And then it sort of paints this picture of it sliding. And seemingly, all that he's really done, right, is that he grew dissatisfied with the marriage, maybe partly because Amy is the way she is and the way she has this controlling idea. We even get examples from other boyfriends that she's tried to reshape them into her yeah. image for what her, her partner should be. And he has, you know, He's had his moment of weakness, as he puts it, over 15 months, and mm-hmm. starts having an affair with one of his students, because uh, he's mm-hmm. teaching now. And it's a college student, specifically, just to be clear. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's bad, but it's not that bad. Uh, and we, we don't even find out about this, this affair until he's spending the night at his sister's place. And I think it's the second night he's there where this mm-hmm. young woman shows up. And she is just desperate. No, I need you, Nick. Like, no, you need... And, and he's like, you, I can't be seen with you. Do you know how bad yeah. this is going to look if I'm seen with a young woman that I'm having an affair with when she's missing? This is terrible. Yeah. But, and obviously, this partly gives Amy some of her motivation for what she's done. But mm. it also leads to this thing where, yeah, like, everyone's going to turn, like, look at you like a villain because you did this. And this mm-hmm. is just going to build the larger picture that you're behind this... this murder or seemingly murder of your wife so i i sat down to watch this with my girlfriend as we've been trying to do with most of these venture movies Uh, are you you still good afterwards (laughs) uh, i'm out on the couch but um no i'm good uh the the thing though is that she was going into this movie i told her like yeah it's a mystery it's got some twists to it and so she had some expectations um but i think she was you know on the side of you know, he didn't do it. He didn't kill her all throughout the beginning. Mm. But then the moment that the girlfriend came out mm. from her, all I, all I heard was, a, uh, 
as if she's just like everything's clicking into place the same way that it did for like the media in yeah. the movie the same way it was like he had an affair he has a mistress he is evil he killed her and i'm like i, I can't say anything but eh. yeah i mean it turns out this was the one thing he did was he had mm-hmm. an affair this was the one thing he was guilty of maybe i mean this is the thing i want to make it clear that this character of nick is a flawed character he he oh, makes yeah. mistakes he's a bit of an idiot at times with the things he chooses to say but that kind of fleshes him out to make him feel like he's like more of a real person and it's mm-hmm. like yeah okay he did this thing he was unhappy in the marriage he shouldn't have had an affair he should have ended it and for whatever reason he didn't and maybe it was for selfish reasons maybe it's because yeah his wife was a bit of a cash cow because she came from a rich family maybe there was mm-hmm. these other reasons right we, we know she had a prenup uh and that's yeah. maybe a reason why he couldn't just you know divorce her and take half her money like he may that have being, wanted to that being said though at a certain point in this movie it does come out that the morning of the fifth anniversary uh he was going to tell his wife he wanted a divorce because he just didn't want to do it again Wait, he couldn't couldn't go another day but which, then which the, i think is interesting because i think that actually makes us respect him more that he was about oh, yeah. to actually go through with it yeah yeah because it would have been like the right thing to do like as as tyler perry eloquently puts it he had a moment of weakness over 15 months <laughs> like the best point to have done it was 15 months ago the second best point is now yeah it, um, it took him time to build up the the nerve and the courage right absolutely but as he goes to say this to amy she's that same day has decided to lay out her plan she's decided hey i'm going to do this so she tells him go out and think about our relationship for a while sends him away and then puts her plan into motion so yeah it's 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 super interesting that both of them wanted to end things on the exact same day they both were unhappy with how the relationship had turned out neatly ties back into them getting the same present for their first anniversary where they both got the same shirt for each other whatever it was yep uh what you know I, I, I think that stuff's really smart the way it's done and i think amy's whole thing which is that hey like you know all men want our sex and they're only nice to us because they want that and a lot mm. of her dialogue and her narration once she's revealed to be alive is very crude it's very much like you know i did my part i stayed a size too i blew him whenever you know he needed it i did this things i i was mm. the killer girl. i think she has a whole speech on the road where she's like Oh, right. If you know, depending on what guy you are, you might want the cool girl, or maybe you want the girl next door. But the the point being is that whatever type you want is that you kind of like enforce that sort of view of what you want onto the other person. Yeah, and I did. I I don't know how big of a thing this was. I don't remember it at the time, but they I did look into a bunch of basically reviews and stuff at the time that were calling out Julian Flynn for like some misogyny to a level of saying that this this kind of conversation is saying like you know it's the girl's fault it's saying how oh i wanted to be the cool girl i wanted to be the type of girl that the guy wants and as she's saying that she's fed up with it she's blaming the girls themselves as like she's driving down the road rather than Mm. the guys who are the ones who are pushing them into these roles i didn't quite get that but i can see where the argument comes from I think for me, as I was hearing this, like, and why it never felt misogynist to me, and I get, I get admittedly, right, we're two dudes, we're not the ones that should be definitively yeah. answering that question, but I'm just giving mm-hmm. my feelings on it, is that it felt like to me, part of the interesting part of Amy's character is that obviously she's a psychopath, obviously she's oh, a yeah. sociopath, she's awful in a lot of ways, yeah. but I think a lot of her critiques are, are there's truth in them, right? 
And mm-hmm. to me, even if she has been bitter about the other women around her and blaming them for like helping prop up these standards uh, that like they all have to then maintain, mm-hmm. it did feel like to me that the the criticism was still valid in the sense that you could aim it back to the men's expectations. And it's not yeah. to say that I mean maybe Ben Affleck's character Nick was somewhat guilty of this maybe but then she's also kind of a hypocrite because she also does that like we get a sense she was trying to do that with nick but when we eventually meet the guy that she accused of raping her like eight years ago ten years ago whenever it was Mm. when ben affleck goes to meet him and this guy tells a story about how oh she she made me like she came over i I was keeping my distance because i realized she wasn't really for me because she's crazy yeah but she came over and basically not forced him into sex but initiated sex and then basically said yeah she wants it rough she she made a point of turning mm-hmm. it into like a very rough sort of uh experience yeah. and she this... showed up drunk one night and was just really really into it but it was all calculated to the point where now because she asked him to be rough because she asked him to tie her up or to whatever it was mm-hmm. when she then told people the next day that she'd been raped this then looks like he did it and he's been on a sex offenders list now forever and yep. Ben Affleck's maybe the first person in this movie that's ever spoken to this man since that incident who's listening to him and believing his story because now because yeah. there's that great little line there where he says well did you do it and the guy just looks back and was like well did you do it and he's like fair point yeah, <laughs> all right, all right. Can't, can't can't argue with that <laughs> I, I do love the line at the very end of the conversation where he basically asks like oh and have you you know did you talk to her ever since then and he's like no I haven't seen her at all. Well, that is until yesterday. I saw her on the news. And then the best line is, looks like little Amy's graduated from rape to murder. Good for her. Yeah, I I think if there's an argument to be made here, that if there's anything slightly problematic to me, it mm-hmm. wouldn't be so much the thoughts and commentary that comes out of the 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 Amy narration and what she's talking about with all this stuff because I I, th- I think it is like valid critiques of standards set upon oh, people yeah. in Absolutely. general and you, you can have at least a little bit of sympathy that she's been driven to this point because her parents even forced these standards onto her as parents mm-hmm. and then that sort of bled into her life with partners and how she looks at other people and how she feels that everyone's putting these standards onto her especially yeah. her partners but maybe you could, yeah, I mean, ultimately you're given, you're presenting the audience with this mastermind who does false accusations and manipulates everything to make the men look guilty. And we do live in a world where far too many people, when a woman who's actually been assaulted speaks up about it, too many people will say, you know, they'll discount it, they won't believe victims, right. they'll give the men the benefit of the doubt, and, and so on and so forth. And I can understand the critique that maybe presenting a story with this woman mastermind who's evil, who's doing this, is maybe setting a bit of a bad image. I can understand that. I think on a larger scope, I would say that we really shouldn't have to care about that in the sense that, you know, when I hear about a real criminal on the news or whatever, I don't just watch Dark Knight and think, oh, they must be a mastermind like the Joker. He's a fictional character. Amy is a fictional character. And we can have a great twisty turny dark story about a fictional character but i do i would understand the concern there from just presenting that type of story to people about yeah. you know false accusations i i get that part of it yeah it's it's the sort of thing where you don't need to have the characters because that's the problem if there's no way to write the story with the themes that want to be told where all of the characters then 
fit on the right side of things. There has to be someone on the wrong side of things for there to be conflict. It has to exist. So if everyone, if like, there's no story where we look into this idea of, you know, someone who fakes their own death and like frames someone else and it not be someone who's like, oh, but doing that is wrong, people. I want you to understand that <laughs> despite me framing my death, it's a wrong thing to do. Like, someone has to be on the wrong side of that. Yeah, I mean, so, I, I think this comes back down to just, like, people having uh, been able to do critical thinking and been able to mm-hmm. understand that a story is presenting them with a flawed character who is making the wrong decisions, and we're studying that character from the perspective, okay, what pushed them to this place? Why are they doing what they're doing? How is it hurting other people around them? And mm-hmm. how is this hurtful in general to, to everyone? And, you know, in the same way that you analyze Taxi Driver, like, obviously some people read that character the wrong way, but Travis Bickle is a very problematic character who has okay. very, very problematic views of women and his place. It's, it's, it's a film about toxic masculinity, and you have to read it from that. But when you read it that way, it's saying phenomenal things. It, it's it's mm-hmm. exploring it in a way that, you know, most mov- movies don't. And I think similar to this, you're you're exploring this character who has been so pushed by the idea of living up to an image that they have become this. They have become this monster. Yeah, it's it's also definitely a thing for every aspect of her life of control. It is mm. absolutely she is needing to be in control of every situation to the point where uh, once she sets her plan in motion, like she has a calendar of here's how things are going to play out after the fact. And not only is there things of, it's it's not so much of her, she already knows how everything's going to play out. It's that she has a little like if-then statement. She's like, if this thing has happened by this date, then do this. And it goes all the way up to the point where eventually her plan was to kill herself for real, let her body be found, and let that be the death sentence for her husband. So, yeah, she was basically applying to murder by suicide in a weird mm-hmm. way. Uh, yeah. But obviously, like, I'd forgotten that detail when I watched it this time, and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot she planned that. And mm-hmm. it was interesting watching for the motivations as to when she changes her mind on that, when she decides, no, 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 like, I can't have that. And part of it is, is that she sees her husband kind of, like, win back some sympathy by being honest on the media and, like, sort yeah. of saying, wait a minute, they're not hating him as much as they should be, that he's starting to claw back some support and mm-hmm. she can't have that. And then, of course, Ben Affleck, or Nick, I should say, intentionally kind of plants a message in the interview for her to see, which really yeah. motivates her next moves uh, after that point. But to be fair, like I think one of the interesting things about her side of the story, and arguably it's the even more interesting side, is as riveting as the first half is, as we're getting all these details and Ben Affleck's getting confused about things, like, <laughs> Like, you know, they find... Because that's the thing. And this was something that I, I didn't really think about until this viewing, is that all the talk in the flashbacks about them having money troubles, I realise most of it, I think, isn't actually that true. Because when the police present Ben Affleck and say, hey, you've got money troubles, and he looks at these account, these things that have been purchased, he's like, wait a minute, I didn't buy any of these things. I don't think they actually had really that many money troubles relative to what she was saying in the flashbacks until she went out of her way to create them. I disagree. Okay. Mainly because my only point here is that it seems like this entire plan was really put into motion when Amy caught Nick kissing his student when she came across that and specifically saw that like he did the same stupid little 
like flirty things that he did yeah, with yeah, her yeah. back on their first date. So when that happened, he already had his bar, which they had established that she bought by like selling her trust fund pretty much and like selling her other stuff no, as well. No, 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 no. Okay. That was established in her narration, her backstory, her, her, her journal entries. We can't take oh, that. You're as, saying, yeah, we can't take any well, of that as fact. No, I'm not the, saying. I'm not saying she didn't buy the bar. I'm saying that the mm-hmm. idea that they were having trouble, right? Yeah. Right, because especially the one scene that's in that journal that we see is she comes home and he's bought like a PS3, which by the way also dates the movie. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. But he's bought a PS3, and and this was actually this came out a year after the PS4 came out, but this is meant to be a flashback, so that's actually good. It's eye set for in detail. 2010. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's very good job on the the movie writers. But she's yeah, mad. That I, I will on. I will throw out there. You say good eyes for detail. Apparently, he was playing Battlefield Three, which was not actually released until 2011. So they did actually get that wrong. Well, I mean, <laughs> look, I would say that's about 70 percent right, 30 percent wrong. Not bad. <laughs> yeah, not fair. bad. So, but no, he's he's bought this console. He's bought video games. He's bought a laptop, and she grills him for spending too much. But this is very much in her journal. This is her. Mm. narrative of this backstory and i think this part especially is because this is meant to tie into the fact that oh he's bought all these other silly things right before Mm. she's went missing which is the stuff that ends that first big half of the movie where he opens the the door to the woodshed that belongs to his sister and the big 65 inch tv the laptop the robot Mm. dog the golf clubs may have been I don't think there was a jet ski, but I'll say jet ski just to give you a yeah. picture of the type of things that were all in this this thing. And it was like, and that's the moment I, th- I think he fundamentally realizes this has all been a con. This this is, you know, I think up until that yeah. point, I think obviously he's inching towards like she's done this, but I think that moment where you're like, oh no, this entire treasure hunt she sent me on is basically to reveal I did this to you. You're mm-hmm. wanted for murder now because I chose to have it happen to you. And you will maybe get the death penalty because of this. And obviously, yeah. her final coup de grab is going to be her own death to, like, you know, because you know, the cop keeps saying it's hard to make a, a death penalty or a murder charge sick without a body. a body. So that's yeah. something obviously she was ultimately planning. But Chosie's not to. There's a moment where, um, when the news are talking about Nick on TV, and well, they're still mostly against them. There is a couple of little things they say that are a bit bit more critical well, of maybe who she was as a person i i don't even think it's that i think that once she starts seeing herself on the news and she at this point she's living under an assumed name out in like a motel and she's got a little down south friend that she's made who yeah starts like mm. pointing out her own critiques and saying how she doesn't seem that i don't think it's so much that she is seeing her own critiques and says, I need to like rehabilitate my own image to make that work. Or I need to make that work out. I think it comes down. Oh no, I wasn't, I wasn't saying rehabilitate. I wasn't implying that at all. I, 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 I'm thinking more of a Walter way. I am going to spitefully like come back from this because I don't like that. Anyone is saying anything that I didn't put forward as the narrative. So the, so the idea that anyone even suggests that there may have been something bad about her is like instantly, you know, because I think the, the the friend who's watching TV with her um, mm-hmm. is like, ah, uh, you know, I like this is about bullshit. They're going after him for murder or something. Like that. She says a couple of things. Uh, mm. Actually, specifically, she says, 
the the wife seemed like an uptight rich bitch or something to that effect right yeah kind of pokes at who she thinks this woman was She's like oh yeah this guy is clearly evil but she must have known that was coming and she just decided to do it anyway yeah uh and then she spits in her mountain dew uh, when she's not looking because she's spiteful you know she's a spiteful person Mm -hmm. uh I think all of this, like this moment, because I think it's right after this scene where she goes up to her calendar and takes down the post-it note that says yeah, exactly. uh, "kill self" on it, and that's that. That's mm-hmm. the moment where she's decided I'm not doing. I'm not. I'm not going out with any, like, with, without it being the perfect story that I decide to tell. Like, no, I'm not going out without that. I do also wonder if that was the point where she decided that Nick didn't have to die or if she thought he was going to die regardless, like without a body, she had done like the plan had gone yeah, off so perfectly that it doesn't even matter if they find a body. He'll probably still get the death. Yeah, sentence. I don't think she decided anything. Yeah. I think, I, I think there's like a stage of the, these decisions that she goes through. I don't think mm-hmm. she's just decided here. She doesn't want to die. Right. She's just, she's made yeah. that choice. And then of course her, her sort of, or her quote-unquote friend and her friend's <laughs> boyfriend uh decide to rob her when they realize she's got at least some cash worth stealing and yep. she's kind of left penniless without anything and she's on her own she ends up sleeping in her car and that's when she chooses and th- i thought this was a great stroke of genius actually is that earlier on when she was talking to her friend and she she describes men and she's like why are you with this idiot uh, new guy, you know, Boyd Holbrook's character. Yeah, and mm-hmm. she's like, oh, he's he's kind of nice. He's been cheated on, and he's like, he's only been nice because he wants to have sex with you. And she sort of does this little speech to her, and I thought it was very interesting that when she's down on her luck, she makes a call to Neil Patrick Harris's character, who was this boyfriend she dated in college, give or take, mm-hmm. um, and only for a couple of years, and then he was still kind of obsessed and wrote letters, but she had moved on, and I just thought it was very interesting to me that as soon as he shows up and he's been very nice to her and she's like exploiting that of him the entire time i was thinking yeah he's doing this because he wants to have sex with you and even just the yeah. idea of the image building as soon as he gets her back to this like big fancy lake house that he's got that he sort of hides her on because he doesn't go to the mm-hmm. press or anything like that he keeps her secret yeah he brings in bags of clothes and makeup and stuff because she's dyed her hair to like sort of be in a disguise and stuff she's been eating junk food and he mm-hmm. comes in with all this stuff and he's like look when you feel like you're yourself again, when you feel like Amy again, that's when you'll be at your best, and then we can be happy. And, like, all she can hear, and all I could hear now, because she set this up for me, is that he wants her to, like, the Amy he remembers. He wants Mm -hmm. the Amy of his dreams. He wants the Amy that he's idolized and fetishized and whatever else you want to call it. Yeah. He wants that, and he's effectively pushing all these things at her. This is how you do it, so go and make yourself pretty Amy for me. Well, see, that that's the line right there, is I think that this does a great job of, at this point in the movie, she doesn't want to get back with Nick. There's nothing, like, she's entirely still decided, oh, I'm yeah. going to stay on the run. I just, I my plan went astray because I lost all my money, and I need someone to basically fund my life now. And she calls up this guy, because like you were saying, he was obsessed with her. And I think from her perspective, it's someone that she's able to control. And that's, of course, what she wants. She feels that she's going to be able to tell this guy, like, oh, I want to do this today. And he'll just roll over and be like, of course, anything for you. But what we discover is that because it's his house and because he she, you know, came back in a very fragile state, he's actually able to be the one in control of the situation. And he does. He takes full advantage of that. Uh, yeah, if anything, he's enjoying being the protector. Be like, I'm Absolutely. here for you in your time of need. 
and he pushes her down and like tells her this is the way you need to look this is the way you need to dress this is the way you need to everything and it's like you said to get back to amy he remembers but i think that it's very well done at that point because it's leaving amy then with a choice later on when nick does make his masked apology on live news is nick was someone who didn't push her at all he was just relaxed he was content with the relationship in a general sense obviously he was upset with her actions but like he wasn't trying to improve himself or her whereas neil patrick harris's character is the exact opposite he is the one who is pushing her to get better but it's robbing her of the control that she feels she needs anyway so she has to make that choice now of do i stay with this or do i go back and try to make the nick thing work still I don't think I agree with a lot of that. <laughs> That's fair. I just, I, I, I definitely think that the control aspects there. I definitely think that the her needing that level of control is a requirement for her. I think that it's only once Nick makes his apology that she realizes, like, okay, I might still be able to make that work. I could still get that like to the way I want it to be, but I'm stuck here with Neil Patrick Harris now, so I need to figure out how I'm going to handle that. All right, so I've got a very different read on all of this then, uh, right, based right. on what you just said. Because I, I feel like to me that she doesn't like that he's taking control. I agree with that, but I don't mm -hmm. really think he's ever truly in control. She's just a ticking time bomb to when she is going to take control back in some way. But to me, it's this one-two punch of this is a guy who's going to do whatever she wants. Basically, yes, he's kind of taking control right now, but like I have no doubt she can wrestle that back. Mm -hmm when nick comes on tv right and it's the just the interview that he's done where he makes his apology and he puts in a couple of key things like he wears a tie that amy bought he wears a watch that she bought mm -hmm. uh he does the chin thing kind of slyly where he because he does that thing where he's like, I'm i was gonna say should we should we explain the chin thing yeah basically not... just to say that because in one of the flashbacks she says there's something about his face that's not genuine it's maybe it's his chin so then he repeats what he said but he covers his chin with a couple of fingers and mm -hmm. the idea being is when he does that, he's showing that he's being completely and utterly honest. Mm -hmm. And he sort of does this on TV. And I think, I don't think it's that she sees herself, how do I phrase this? I don't think she necessarily finds Ben Affleck's character appealing in a romantic sense after this. I don't think it's about feelings or it's about anything like that. I think when ben affleck is on the tv and he says what he does i think she says she sees a new ending to the story one mm. that builds a new narrative that she can be with but i also think that in some way and this is kind of where i was disagreeing with what you were saying before is mm. that i think the fact that ben affleck ha has seemingly grown some kind of a spine by saying all this on tv and not only apologizing for what he did uh however genuine or ungenuine that might have been by, by, by kind of putting it out there as a message directly to her. Because he even says that in an earlier scene when they're talking about the interview, he says, you know, Tyler Perry's like, oh, you, you'll reach millions of people. And he's like, I just need to reach one. And it's the mm -hmm. idea that he knows she'll be watching. And if she sees the signs, like it might provoke her in some way to come out of hiding and whatever mm -hmm. that, what that might result in. I'm sure he doesn't know what that will result in, but that's what he's in some way trying to do. And yeah. in this scene, 
when he says all this and she's like leaning forward and she's like getting really into it which by the way is making neil patrick harris very jealous he doesn't oh, like yeah. the way she's leaning forward and she's so entranced by this and he's like trying to clutch onto the idea that he's the protector that he's the new boyfriend that he's going to be all these things mm. i think when she's watching this news this is when she makes a decision that she's going to go back it's when she makes the decision that nick is definitely not going to die because she's going to give the story a happy ending and keep nick in line as this image that she's wants to create for them going forward mm. i think there's a level of like respect because not even so much that he's earned her respect in a sort of personal sense but that he's earned his place in this story that she's going to be comfortable building that she wants to then be the public perception of who she is to go back to perception that you were saying before yeah um i think that's where this decision comes from here and you know right after this it, it, this is where we start going down the the sequence of events where she plants all the seeds she knows where the cameras are so she looks bloody and distressed in front of one of the cameras you know and it's just this performance uh mm-hmm. she you know gets neil patrick harris into the bedroom that night says she wants to have sex and we already know or at least we've already heard someone accuse her of tricking someone into a sexual encounter with then later using that against them uh and we've even in this sequence she's already she did a thing where like she kissed him very roughly as he headed out the door yes and then used the footage from the security cameras to like make it look like she was just beaten and raped by him before he left yeah, it looks like he was a little bit roughed up as if he was in a struggle, and then she's up against mm-hmm. the window bleeding. And all as is yeah. wine. She dips her, like, her nightie in some wine, and yeah. it looks like she's bleeding uh, at the groin. Mm-hmm. So it, it looks bad, but it, it's yeah. all very calculated. So, yeah, to, to, to me, that's the big thing. I, I think she's, like, with this guy that she's exploiting, who has been longing for her for years, I think the mere fact that Ben Affleck has grown a spine and doesn't want to, like, crawl after her, but is calling mm. her out and because he's changed his perception in the media now she sees this future where oh it's going to have a happy ending where i come back after being abducted and he's made the the public love him so they'll love me too and it'll be this happy ever after public image i think to me that's what a lot of this was and that leads us to talking about the actual sex scene with neil patrick harris because this yeah. is this is the scene i mean the movie i'm not saying it was a kid's movie before this but this is the scene <laughs> where you remember because it's probably one of the most brutal throat slash scenes i think mm-hmm. i've seen in a movie and i think part of the reason why it's so effective is that despite everything she's done at this point despite all of the trickery and scheming and how like cold and calculated she is she's not actually killed anyone yet we, we, we you know before this scene you don't necessarily know she's capable of that yeah she, she seems like she's capable of saying anything and going the extra mile to, like, back up her lies. But so far, it's just lies and the things she needs to do to make them work. It's never been something that's actually a felony. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so she just lets his throw it just right as he finishes. He, he, he literally yeah. yells, I'm coming, because she needs the semen. The semen's important mm-hmm. for the proof. Uh, but as soon as he's, he's done uh she just slits his throat and she gets covered in blood which again is is for the image right it's for can i sorry <laughs> i just i have i have the wikipedia article open just to yes. make sure that all the plots kept in track as the plot goes through for some reason the words slits his throat is a blue link and i don't want to know what that links to <laughs> 
Yeah, don't click on that. That, that, could, yeah, just, that could just be bad stuff. But... Oh, apparently it's just murder. Just, okay. It's the article for murder. Fair enough. All right. Well, yeah. Uh, so yeah, this, this all feeds into this image. She wants it to be this big, like, barbaric looking thing. She wants to be seen mm-hmm. as this victim who's escaped the, the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre house. That's and what again, she wants. This is, this is the sort of thing that, like, the news would just eat up. Like, oh, a yeah. bloodbath with the woman who we all thought was dead and her estranged lover at his lake house. This was made for a Hallmark movie. Yeah, and, and this all goes back to stuff that Ben Affleck was saying in the first half of the movie, is he's sick of everyone analyzing him and trying to read him and try to figure out if he's this bad guy or not. In fact, mm-hmm. one of the things that gives the first half a lot of heart is that his sister's very much by his side, but as that first hour progresses and she finds out that he's been having an affair, she's mad about that. You've not told me about this, and do you have any idea how bad this looks? And that mm-hmm. makes her question things. And then some of the money stuff makes her question things to the point where the sister even says, you're going to have to tell me this. And he's like, tell you what? And then she doesn't actually say this, the question, like, did you kill her? Mm-hmm. But that's kind of what she needs to hear if he did it or not. And he gets upset at that because he's like, how could you dare even, you know, want me to ask me that? See, but I, I kind of like that because, but like we were saying, the whole thing is I wasn't saying it as a complaint. Oh, no, no, no. But I'm just, <laughs> I'm saying that I specifically do like it. Um, because the whole movie is structured around this idea of like the media is able to take these things and change them. And even the cops, you have the uh, mm. detective. Um, oh, what's her name? Boney. Uh, yeah, Boney. Uh, she she is withholding judgment. She's kind of trying to stay outside of the media stuff, but she knows it's going on. Meanwhile, her partner is all in on the news cycle. And like after day one of the news going in on him. He's just like, yeah, of course this guy did it. I saw it on the news. Yeah, Clearly, she, she's being, she is being very fair. The like, guy, she even, the, the line of dialogue she has is, I'm conducting an investigation, not a witch hunt. Mm-hmm. And she's looking for everything. And by the end of that first hour, she's kind of like, okay, we're on board with this. I, okay, we have to arrest him. Like, it's time. Yeah. Um, But I, I think the whole thing with his sister, though, is that because their relationship feels genuine and she's the one that's there for him, when she starts to right. doubt him, it hurts as the audience, I think, and that's really good writing. And then when the the, the treasure hunt ends and the, all this stuff's in her woodshed, it's mm-hmm. like all of a sudden she's like, wait a minute, she did all this. And now she she instantly knows and believes. And I think yeah. the other end of that is at the very end of the movie when Tyler Perry's at the airport and they're having a conversation. Boney's there, the detective's there as well. And all mm-hmm. four of these characters, so, so you know, Ben Affleck, his sister, uh, the lawyer and the detective... And the detective at one point was trying to like arrest him and put him away. Are all sitting there like, yeah, she did this. We all know she did this. We all know she's done all these awful things. But there's mm. nothing we can do about it. You know what the detective specifically reminded me of here yes. is those like TV shows that are so paranoid about like getting spoilers leaked and stuff like that that they will actually go in and like change the ending or change a plot point if it gets leaked too early on, mm. like. She struck me as the kind of person who's watching that happen because obviously the initial plan was perfectly thought out. It would have ended with uh, Ben Affleck being sent into the chair and Amy being dead by suicide. But then she adapted. Then she made a change halfway through and she had to like readjust the plot to get it to the point where she needed to be. So the detective at the end of it all sitting there like, 
but wait, what about this one plot point here regarding the murder weapon? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Let's just forget about that. Because it's not, I was, I was bathing in blood. Can't you feel sympathy for me? Even, but in that scene though, where it's all these FBI agents and it's her, uh, Boney asking questions, mm -hmm. like, she's the only one pointing out flaws in the story and trying to ask questions. Right. Whereas all the men in the room just see her as a victim and are just like, no, I'd leave it alone, Boney. That's just, well, you know. They, like that even no, but even that plays upon this idea of manipulating people right. based on perception and certainly if we're talking about sexes here and like how different genders bounce off of each other this mm. again if we go back to the other scene where the the girlfriend character goes on the news and sort of says yes he was having an affair with me i love that we see roseman pike's character amy's reaction to that scene because she's mm. looking at it going wait why is she dressed like she's like a, a religious babysitter? She's yeah. a little, she says, she's got big come on me tits, which yep. which we did see. With the one scene with ben, ben Affleck is that, you know, she's quick to whip off that top and that's, you know, mm -hmm. he's nuzzling right in there. He's going for it. <laughs> like, it's this idea of that even her in this moment, she's trying to change her perception, you know, to the public. And yeah. that's what and all this movie is doing. But even then, continuing with both perception and the sexism aspect, the whole way, reason that he's able to shut up Boney at the end uh, when she's, like, posing these questions is that she, like, really presses how she was raped and, like, gets really graphic with it to the point where all of the male FBI agents are, like... Mm. They're like, uh, you know, this you don't have to say anymore. We get you. You're you're all good. And she's just playing on that sort of Which, expectation uh, there. If anything, all all that really does is say that there's a reason why a woman like Boney should be the one pressing the questions because, mm -hmm. and why there should maybe be more of an even split and and yeah. you know and cops and you know law enforcement because the 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 sheer idea that a policeman, uh, detective or whatever won't press because they think it's an uncomfortable topic that they shouldn't be talking to a woman about is exactly why a woman police officer should be the one there answering mm -hmm. the difficult questions because they'll do the questions they know they need to ask and yeah th yeah that that scene is very it's, 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 it's like only like a um, two minute scene right near the end of the movie where they're asking mm -hmm. her all these questions when she's still sitting in the hospital and boney in that scene boney i think when she goes into that scene i mean she probably doesn't necessarily still believe uh ben Affleck did anything but because obviously the wife's turned up alive but yeah. i think when she goes into that scene i don't think she's necessarily thinking the wife is guilty of everything but by the end of that scene i think she's like i think the cogs in the head are moving and she's like oh, this yeah. woman has committed she, lots like of crime you said, like you said she arrested ben affleck's character uh basically at the end of the first hour there she had to take him in and then once she comes back, once she shows back up alive, as I was saying before, it's like someone watching a TV show that had to change halfway through. It's her saying like, well, that doesn't make any sense with what we were previously shown. So despite the fact that Ben Affleck's been totally cleared, now she's like, how could this possibly have ended up in this situation? There's yeah. no way we could have ended up here where it was so obviously set up that she was killed in everything we've seen so far. Yeah, and then all of a sudden there's this villain who abducted her and mm -hmm. took her to this place. And like you say, she just lays on how thick and dark all this stuff is just so that they'll mm -hmm. stop asking questions. And there's, you know, hopefully the security camera footage and stuff like that will just back up what she said enough that 
they'll yeah. just call it a day there. The, the perpetrator's already dead. And of course, at this point in the movie, Ben Affleck's scared to be in the house with her because she slit a man's throat. <laughs> Which I gotta say, that is the the best parallel in this movie, is that once her diary starts getting towards the more made-up stuff, things that didn't actually happen, for instance, she writes that she uh, wanted to go buy a gun in order to defend herself. Yeah, yeah. And it instead, it looks like she just bought a gun for the sake of enforcing her own story. Um, she there's all these sequences well, where she, as she tried to buy right, a gun, she didn't actually get one. Right, tried to, she did yeah. not. Um, but there are all these sequences where it shows her like laying in bed, like covers up to her eyes. She's watching the door, like she. It's all these visual cues of she is terrified. She is not okay with being in this house with her husband anymore. Fast forward to the end of the movie, and he is doing all of the things that she was doing prior. He literally, she is lo- he locks he's locking the door. In, yeah. He locks himself in a room with the cat, and he's like, protect me, cat. I don't want yeah. to be alone with he's her. He's just sitting there staring at the door, like, afraid to go to sleep at night, because he, he knows that she killed this guy. She is fully capable of murder now. And that's, like, he has to just stay here and live with it because of the optics, because she straight up said... Uh, very first day that she was back, he said, I'm still going to divorce you. This doesn't change anything. Yeah, I was like, still leaving you. Yeah. <laughs> and she says, you can't. Like, if you do, I will make sure that every moment of your life from now on is a living hell based off how other people will treat you because the optics are on my side right now. And so he's forced to basically just stick around. He's, he's forced to do this interview with her because uh, mm-hmm. for, for, it's basically the awful Fox News person who's been like smearing them the whole movie. Uh, she shows up to the house for this interview and like you know because he even he goes to his sister he goes to wherever he talks to them uh but ultimately he's still been forced to do this and mm-hmm. this is where like he's like i'm still we're still done after this i'm still going because he's still he's still determined to just leave yeah. and this is where she whips out the pregnancy t- like test and says i'm mm-hmm. pregnant and she's like wait we've not done anything like how could i who could you and it turns out that he had an embryo frozen you know we see some of this earlier in the movie yeah. Uh, when they were thinking about having kids at one point and she sort of basically it was hardly kind of implied that no we're not actually going to do it but it seemingly did actually like save the embryo get got the clinic to save the embryo or whatever and yeah. she's basically got herself impregnated without his consent without his knowledge mm-hmm. and is like okay now i'm pregnant you can't leave uh or you're leaving your child with me and that- and it's established throughout this entire movie that he has deep-seated father issues yes regarding like abandonment and stuff like that so, so he is like shit i'm locked in and i love how as they go down to do this interview it cuts to a scene that obviously happens later with him and his sister where his sister is crying because he's now going to have to be at least playing the husband for another 18 years mm-hmm. because now he has to be there for the kid and she's like no you're, you're choosing to be with her you want to be with her like, i don't i don't but like i can't leave the kid yeah. and you know, she's locked him into this and there's no way out. And if you look at this whole movie as a whole and this idea that, okay, he was unhappy in the marriage because, like, she was this kind of, like, noose around his neck, you know, for lack of a better term. And then mm-hmm. that made her very spiteful and happy and drove her to all these extremes. And now they're locked in this horrible commitment to each other that he doesn't want, that she's, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of forcing upon him, but... It really does like paint this picture of like what two people can do to each other, taken to the absolute absurd extreme. Uh, yeah. To the, and it's it's that kind of thing where towards the end of the movie, uh, when she does this whole pregnancy thing, and he for the first time 
gets yeah. physical and pushes her against the wall and drops mm-hmm. a C-bomb on her. Um, she retaliates with, well, it's this C-bomb that you fell in love with. It's this C-bomb that you married. You have to make do with it. Like, the, yeah. you, you've made these I think, mistakes. I think the great line coming out of the sequence is Ben Affleck basically says, like, why? Why do you want to be in this relationship yeah. where all we do is break each other down and hurt each other? And she just comes back with, that's marriage. Like, yeah. that's what it is. Because that's what she sees. That's what she expects from this sort of thing. It isn't about self-worth like worth and working with each other. It's about forcing each other into being better people, in her eyes. Yeah, because so, there's a lot of spiteful things here. Uh, it mm-hmm. does paint it in her journal that part of it's economic. Although, again, I'm not sure how true that part is. But they yeah. moved to Missouri because Ben Affleck's mother had cancer and was dying. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to be close to his mother. And she clearly did not like moving from New York and her brownstone to oh, a God, house no. in Missouri. She's clearly held a grudge for that, that her her perception's taken a hit because of this. Mm-hmm. And that's clearly something that, that he didn't apparently ask for. You know, he didn't ask, like, hey, can we do this? It's like, oh, we're just doing this because my mother's yeah. sick. There's also this whole backstory of during the recession, uh, she had a trust fund based off the Amazing Amy books, but because her her because her parents made some bad investments or were in debt or something like that the trust fund has basically evaporated and so they don't even have that to fall back on either. again but that's that's all from her that perspective of that flashback that i'm not sure from how her true perspective. that is i i am willing to take that because it seems to me like the defining line is the before and after of her seeing uh the new girlfriend that seems to be the line where she just started lying after that well, no, 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 no 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 you're misunderstanding something here she wrote okay. all of this after that. No, no, I understand. But she, she said that because there was a point where she, the detective handed over the diary and said, is this true? And he says, yes. Is this true? Yes. And it was only after a certain point that she started saying no. And I think uh, that the point where the lies in the diary started were at the point where she saw the new girlfriend. I don't and think so. I, I don't think so because one, they don't give enough examples when she's shown pages of the diary. She only gives like five examples, so I don't think that's True. a foolproof way to examine it. And two, mm-hmm. I think for her story to make sense, I think showing signs of unhappiness before that discovery makes sense in the narrative. So I think just from looking at it from that perspective, it makes sense to me that she's because definitely the fight where he's been buying all these things that he never actually did, mm-hmm. that happened before she found the the girl, the affair. That was definitely yeah. before that, and I definitely think that was a lie. That's fair. Yeah. So I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's a complete lie. I think that there were some exaggerated aspects to it, but I do think that there there's a nugget of truth in there. Maybe I mean maybe uh, a nugget, but the way it's presented in the scene that she is written for is right to the mm-hmm. audience is that he is just this asshole who's buying multiple expensive electronics when they've got no money. That just does feel like, no, she's writing them out to be a villain in this scene. Like, there's, unquestionably, he is the bad guy here. Uh, well, I mean, you say that, but at the same point, like, I th- I feel like the way that scene is portrayed, it's, you say villain, bad guy, but I think it's much more sympathetic in a way, because he's he, he sits up and he's, you know, he's snapping at her and stuff like that, but then he comes back down and just like, you're right, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm unemployed for the first time, like, ever in my life, I don't know how I'm supposed to be handling myself. I think that it's more so a emotional breaking point more than I think, I think that is the probably the seed of truth that's in the scene. Is mm-hmm. there's that part that's more sympathetic. Uh but I still I think she's a very unreliable narrator. 
and I oh, don't, absolutely. And even the early stuff that so even if the details of that early stuff is mostly accurate, mm. we've already said that there's a dreamlike quality to the tone of them that is very manipulative. And mm. I take that obviously that's direction, that's the movie, but I see that as the movie presenting the tone that she's trying to put across in her writing to whoever's reading it to tell her story. And I that's think fair. that that yeah, like the, I think that's part of what makes this movie such a fun dance with the audience is that the whole movie is about her telling this story as we're seeing the plan's early days play out, like to him, right? Like, oh, the body's missing. Everyone's sort of looking at him. Is it like he's a suspect? They're doing this vigil. They're doing all these different things. Mm. Uh, the, the the annoying neighbor best friend shouts out she was pregnant, and she wasn't. It turned out she just stole that woman's piss to get, yeah. get on her medical record that she was pregnant. I do, I do love this movie in that at the very you know they send the entire first hour setting up this mystery and you have no idea how they managed to do certain things but then as soon as we hit that transition he does not waste any time of explaining exactly how all of the stuff that we've seen up to this point was done like yeah, he, okay. he fully lays it out and he's like here's how it all happened you're totally up to date here everything after this point is new stuff these are new developments. Yeah, basically, it answers how everything happened in the first half, at least most of it, very quickly. Because mm -hmm. at that point, then, the movie's about how, if, but how does she get caught or how does she come back into the picture? Now it's mm -hmm. more about where it goes from here. Because even all the other characters who were, you know, confused by what was happening in the first half of the movie, even them at this point, even though they don't know where she is, like Ben Affleck, his sister... They all fundamentally know and believe that she's out there and that she pulled this shit, that she did oh, this yeah. to him. And mm -hmm. not the public, but they do. So even them, they're along with the audience in their state of mind where, okay, now we just know that this is all bullshit, but how do we prove it? And that's kind of like part of the, the hook is that you're like, okay, can they prove it? Can they trick her into like showing up? Can they trick her into making a mistake? And mm. in a way, kind of, like she kind of goes out of her way to make this friend that ends up being dangerous that kind of ruins her whole... Like, I think part of it is, uh, part of, the like, analyzing her story in this is the idea that she tries to make it on her own for the first time in her life. She had the, the parents with the trust fund and all the money. Mm -hmm. She had the husband, and she tried to be on her own, and it ended quite quickly with her being robbed. And it's, like, all, almost a, uh, you know, just this humiliating kind of, like, oh, wait, yeah. I can't maybe do this on my own the way that I thought I did. I, I viewed it less in that. I viewed it more through the lens of in her own life, in the things that she's around every day. Like we said, she has this need for control. I think that she felt completely in charge of her own world. And she's like, kind of got, I don't want to say drunk off of that concept, but it, she was drinking her own Kool-Aid to that extent. She's like, I can handle everything. I have this master plan and nothing could possibly interrupt it. But then as she her plan forces her to go to a location she's unfamiliar with, forces her to interact with people that she doesn't know, that she doesn't know how to handle as well. That's when her control falters and she loses the situation entirely. Yeah. And I think that it's not so much that she's on her own. It's just that she's overestimating her own abilities of this one guy who she spent five years with as compared to these other people that she knows nothing about. I, I do think there's a bit of an ego hit. I, I think there's a oh, bit yeah. of an ego hit that she couldn't, like, survive on her own, and that very quickly she's 
stumbled into this place of danger where like well, she didn't she didn't have to take her little bag of all of her money to the mini golf course where it would fall and they would see yeah. it like that was just a dumb decision like i get that you maybe don't think it's safe being back at the you know the motel room or whatever but mm-hmm. like yeah like you were kind of asking for like some nefarious and as soon as these two people see it you can tell they're going to try and rob her oh absolutely they've got it in their eye they've got they've got that that, that green <laughs> glow of money sparkling yep. in the the corner of their eye they're they're coming for it i do think that one of the best scenes in order to show that transition is like immediately afterwards where she just basically has a roll of quarters left she's trying to make phone calls at like this truck stop to Mm. see if she can like figure out a place to stay and then actually this might have come just beforehand but she they show her in the parking lot of this place that she's basically just sleeping in her car and that's not you know selling the story to neil patrick harris that's not doing anything of like trying to show how weak and pathetic she is for the sake of trying to control someone else that's just where she's at that's just the point where she has sunk to that's showing us her motivation for what she's going to do next like why she's willing Mm -hmm. to go back to this guy that she has just kind of like left in the past like she goes she basically has to break the idea that amy is dead she there's no way for her to get around that anymore so yeah. yeah and arguably now that one person knows that like the, the story is only going to hold up if that one person is uh is taken out and even though she yeah. does decide to come back into the world of the living she can only now lie about how she came back if that one person mm-hmm. is there so either way neil patrick harris was always a goner <laughs> that's what i'm trying oh, to yeah. say <laughs> the moment she called him up as soon as she realized like i'm not going to be able to live there for the rest of my life she's like yeah this guy's gonna die there's no other way around well, yeah, that. Well, yeah, because he wanted to keep her as this trophy wife. And I think mm-hmm. her realization, I never think she was in danger of actually becoming that. But I think the second she cut a whiff of that's exactly what he wants and what he's going to try and keep me as, well, <laughs> like... Well, yeah, that's when she's when he's showing her around the place. She is, this place is wonderful. This place is fantastic. It's got like heated floors. Oh, it's I, got... could, I could live here for the rest of my life. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I would never, I would gladly go down on Neil Patrick Harris to get that house. But when it came, I mean, ironically, you're more his type than she is. Funnily yeah, enough, absolutely. <laughs> um, but no, the 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 moment that the tone shifts, and you can tell because the, like everything in the movie, from soundtrack to visuals to everything, is when he says, "And don't worry about anybody like like Nick coming up here and getting you. I've got cameras everywhere that record twenty four seven. And that's the moment where she's like, "Oh." you are in control of this at the moment and that doesn't play well with me yeah but i like, think that, i need to i think as here. soon as that moment happens she knows she's going to take it back like i, I don't think yeah. there's ever a risk where she's going I to feel she, helpless i think she knows she's going to take it back but i don't think she's decided that he's going to die yet i think that she's already planning on like how she could maybe convince him to get rid of the cameras or how she could mm. like try to get on top of that but i think that it's only once uh, she sees the interview that she fully decides, yeah, this guy's got to go. Oh, no, we're, I'm going we're agreed there that that interview yeah. is where she makes a lot of decisions about what mm-hmm. she's going to do. Absolutely. That said, yeah. though, she's all, you know, I think at that point in the movie, we're, we're so deep into who these characters are at this point that we're, we're kind of trying to see what they're going to do. And she's such a, a wild card because she mm-hmm. is the one who did this thing in the first place that set all the plot into motion. And now it's like, okay, has Ben Affleck's message reached her? And if it has reached her, like, what? Like, 
because in, in a lot because it's, it's not like he's trying to appeal to like i re- i really do love you come back like he, i know he does the tap on the chin but the tap on the chin at this point has changed its meaning its meaning mm-hmm. is no longer i'm telling the truth its meaning is now i'm talking to you like right. i'm talking directly to you well that's as soon as he as soon as she does come back she's still covered in Patrick harris's blood they get inside the house and he straight up says like you know i was lying on tv right like clearly <laughs> yeah. i don't want you back it was oh, just I, to get you to come out even before that the first thing he says to her they're still outside in front of the press yeah. and he just whispers <laughs> in her ear you effing bitch <laughs> yep Which, i gotta say you know. i'm really surprised that they did not get caught out just in the few things that we saw because like there's one point where they're smiling at each other and there's all these press around and she's like kiss me on the cheek and he just like leans behind her and fakes a kiss and i get it from the angle that the cameras were at it would look like he still kissed her on the cheek but it it seems like the most bare bones thing he was still unwilling to do and that would easily get him caught out in some later interview at some point so in a lot of ways this movie is very much like the 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 yin to the yang if you will of seven Mm. and that seven is about a happy marriage that is destroyed i won't get into too much detail yeah Uh, but this movie is a marriage that has been kept together to completely destroy the person that's in it and and trap him it's like the total opposite that's like this movie it's kind of darkly funny at points you know we've joked about Mm. you know him calling her a bitch or whatever and these these little moments are good the sister's quite funny at times but mm-hmm. this has actually got a really depressing ending. This is not a happy oh, yeah. ending at all. Like you're satisfied as an audience because like she has kind of like, came came out of it, but the villain of this movie wins. Like she gets yeah. something she wants at the end. That's the thing. I think from an audience perspective, what you would expect in like any other film is that either he breaks and does end up like killing her finally rather than having to live with her or she just goes after him as well like it ends with someone else dying i don't think the audience going into it expects them to continue to play house after everything that's that's happened that's what one makes it an amazing ending because it is a Mm -hmm. is an outcome that i don't think many people will see coming and Mm -hmm. two it just ties into that themes that they're going to stay in this marriage and if this is a symbol of this like never-ending hell that is keeping a marriage together you don't want to be in then Mm -hmm. that's why they that's why that has to be the ending it has to be we have to keep up these pretenses and yeah. the, the whole baby thing just kind of locks it in and it's like okay uh and because there's a point where she says um like for me it feels safe you have to do these three things you have to admit that you pushed me which we know he didn't uh mm-hmm. you have to admit that you did this and blah blah and it's like the, when, when she says for me it feels safe what she's really saying is for you to be safe for me <laughs> you yeah. have to do these three things for me to not ruin your life yes. i need you to do these things yeah because if i don't feel safe then i will take steps to feel safe and those mm-hmm. steps will either be your death or you know making them guilty of something else yeah, that'll your take physical death or your publicity death yes one, one or the other will happen mm-hmm. uh so all that stuff's uh really well done it's super great i, I also yeah. i want to point out a scene actually when they first came in the house after she comes back and she's covered in blood and he's like hey let's talk you need to tell me what happened here you need to tell me what you did you know i want the details and she's like well first take your clothes off i want to make sure you're not wearing a wire and that just again it shows you the calculated mind she has where she's like just in yeah. case you're going to try and catch me out here like no so the scene where they kind of like she comes clean to him they're literally both standing naked and she's having a shower 
and yeah. it's this perfect visual of like everything's now stripped bare like the bullshit's all been thrown out aside and for mm-hmm. the first time in the whole movie at least from our perspective you know i'm sure there was times in the past where maybe she was being honest with them although from the sounds of the way she describes the early relationship, like, he fell in love with, like, this fake version of me that I was putting on for the, yeah. you know. Like, you can go into all that. But for the first time, truly and utterly, maybe in the marriage, but certainly for the audience, they're actually having an open, honest conversation. It's not a pleasant conversation. She's saying some pretty horrific things about, you know, what mm-hmm. this is and what they're going to be doing. But it is honesty from her to him for the first time in the movie. Yeah. It strikes me as just one of those... Uh, I mean, obviously, they're all spoiler-filled, so I'm going to go with the one that's at least the most well-known, uh-huh. is Psycho, where, like, you've got a character who's acting a certain way throughout the entire movie, and it only comes out at the end how this character actually is, and then in the final moments of the movie, it's just that character just being square with the audience of saying, like, yeah, I've I've always been this way. That's been the way that I was the whole movie, and that's just how I'm going to continue to be. It's that same sort of thing here where she's just talking to him being like, yeah, no, I I want to be in this relationship and I have always been this and I've just been hiding it from you. And I'm going to now be a little bit more open with you. Isn't that great? And he's like, <laughs> no, go back. Yeah. And obviously the symbolism of like literally their naked and vulnerable family yes. being honest is, is, is obvious. Ben Affleck's first and I think only full frontal male nudity in a movie so i mean it's a very blinking you'll miss it kind of yeah know, he's, he's just kind of turned to the side but i, I did notice a little bit of schlong uh <laughs> yep. for a split second uh you know and she's literally covered because she was like covered in blood when she was wearing like a nighty. um mm-hmm. so like all the blood's like from her neck down like they've cleaned up her face when they were Which, working on her i was gonna say i just i can't <laughs> i can't imagine the hospital procedure of this woman has been found, you know, we've done a rape kit, we've, we've tested her, and she is under some sedation for pain. That no step in that is wash the blood off of her. That seems incredible to me. That does seem, yeah, a bit wild. Uh, also, we kind of glossed over this, but just to make it appear even rougher, before the scene with Neil Patrick Harris, she uses a champagne mm. bottle to just... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know Penetrate. What it, yeah, get... get rough up the inside a bit more than maybe yeah. the actual sex will, uh, just mm. to uh, sell the story better. And it's it's such a cold scene, because she's just staring at herself in the mirror as she oh, does yeah. it. And it's... even as she's starting it, she's got a piece of rope that she's just wrapping and unwrapping on her wrists to, to yeah, show to make their bruises being, and yeah, yeah, the like stuff ligature like that. marks. Yeah, I, like... It's yeah. There's nothing like like if I said to you, there's a scene where Rosamund Pipe's going to masturbate with a champagne bottle. You might think, oh, that sounds quite kinky. I might enjoy it. No, there yeah. is nothing enjoyable about this scene. It is these cold dead eyes as she is just forcing it into herself to again set up this story. And because we've already heard the story from this other guy, she said raped her before. We're mm. already thinking, oh, okay, that's what she's going to do with Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. And she does say that, she, that he did that, but obviously we didn't. We don't know the death is also going to be on top of it. We don't know the murder is going yeah. to also be part of it. We, we, we think possibly the story could be she just fully discredits him and makes it so that she can tell whatever story she wants. But obviously we go a bit further than that. Yeah, or even like blackmail him and say, hey, look, like this is going to look very bad for you because of all these injuries that I've given myself. Like... And there's camera footage of me up against the window bleeding. Like mm-hmm. you could sell it as no, no, no. You're going to be a loose end that is going to keep his mouth shut because I've got. Yeah. I could ruin your life. But and even 
yeah, yeah go ahead no i was gonna say um, but instead she goes full you know yeah full and throttle. that's what i actually love at like right after that scene when she gets to the hospital and all that is he's talking to that one cop who was just totally convinced of his guilt and the cop's like oh yeah she she cut his throat with a box cutter and she was held in there and she was like being raped every day and she wouldn't he wouldn't let her go and ben affleck just looks and be like she was being held there and not allowed to move how'd she get a box cutter and the cop just doesn't care he just looks and says like can't you just be happy your wife is home <laughs> and then yeah and obviously kim Deacon's character the detective mm-hmm. she's like hey so the murder weapon or the weapon that you were you were hit with uh, mm-hmm. was this like punch and judy doll thing it was part of the, the treasure hunt and the rest the of the woodshed, punch and judy yeah. dolls were with all the other stuff in the woodshed and she's like hey how did that that uh thing? and she's like oh yeah it came from this treasure hunt thing i do for my husband and she's like yeah but how did that one part of it why, why did you have that with you yeah uh, and you know she doesn't really have a good she just sort of has to think on her feet and go oh I, you know must have I, I found it just before it must have fell out the box or or something mm-hmm. and yeah you know, she's just yeah. ca- i i just picked it up when the doorbell rang and neil patrick harris showed up and it's again it's that sort of thing where as she's pressing her more and more she eventually has to just stop the conversation wholesale and say excuse me but if you had been allowed to continue this investigation my husband would be dead so maybe you should shut up <laughs> yeah um so it's obviously very frustrating because you know she's like they've not caught her she's gotten away mm-hmm. with it this, this is a movie where the villain wins but the yeah. ending is so good because of everything it's talking about with relationships the idea that they're still trapped in this relationship just hammers the point home even mm-hmm. more and she's a great villain i think she's one of the best villains of the last decade honestly yeah i'd you give know? it that she's very memorable it's a very unique villain and I think, you know, I, I, it's probably right to call her a femme fatale. I watched a movie a couple months ago called The Last Seduction mm-hmm. uh, from 1994, I want to say. Okay. And that movie had a, a sort of, a, a char- this, you know, evil woman character who manipulates men and uses them and is always trying to plot and get, you know, basically use them to, like, do something and then she'll turn on them kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And particularly the idea of, like, making a sexual encounter that is very consensual look very bad after the fact is one of the things she employs as well and that was also a very good performance i I think this is the type of character you don't want too often but this type of femme fatale who is just absolutely like meticulous in and how they manipulate the people around them is 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 a great type of character that yeah you don't want it to be overused you don't want it to be too much of a a cliche or a trend but Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a very good example of that. And, you know, I saw it twice in theaters for a reason. It left me so kind of like in awe of the the twists and turns and the character analysis of everything going on and the idea of perception. And I can only mm-hmm. think, like, obviously social media is mentioned in this movie. I could only think if this was written oh, again yeah, now no. that that would be even more, like, ramped up. Dude, Nick would have committed suicide within, like, two weeks tops with how much social media would have been like swatting his house and doing just awful things to him. There's no way because it's like this one focuses more on the news networks. It focuses more on how like professional media and the 24 hour news cycle just needs to fill it constantly. I honestly think that a major inspiration of this may have been the um, Casey Anthony trial of how the news just never stopped talking about that for months on end. But if social media were involved in this, I think that it's an interesting idea 
for the direction it could go. It could definitely go into this whole other realm of I mean, the court, the court of public opinion, but like where public opinion actually, you know, it basically would just be a movie on the idea of canceling, like cancel yeah, culture and stuff I, like that, and whether or not it's fair or not. But admittedly, I think that takes it into killing a different topic that this movie's yes. not actually tackling, and that's pr that plus the fact that it's a whole extra layer to have to tackle is probably why they chose not to focus on it. And I say mm -hmm. they, I really mean the writer, because I assume this is faithful enough to the book that it's the book that chose not to delve into that yeah, as much. probably not. I mean, I don't even know when the book was actually published. It might have uh, been before social media really took off. Uh, maybe, yeah. But it's possible it just comes from that time. Uh, uh, 2012. So, so no, still pretty active yeah. like twitter and facebook were both pretty big then yeah. already so yeah it's just it's, it's, it's a great movie i, I think mm -hmm. it's exciting at times i think it does nice little moments to humanize something as simple as carrie coon and tyler perry throwing gummy bears at ben affleck's face yeah. when they're testing his answers for the interview on tv it's just those little moments just humanize him or when he's sitting in the airport and the news starts talking about his sister and how oh maybe they're too close and then a guy mm -hmm. in the next seat goes it's twincest and he's just like why are people saying these things about me and my sister there's nothing there's nothing to give them this so twofold there first and foremost when you first mentioned like the fox news host lady yeah god i despise her and i know that's the point yeah, i yeah, know yeah. i'm supposed to despise her but like hoof it was it was hard to get through some of those sequences because it's just everything that's on the news nowadays that but second, um, I do want to point out that that sequence in particular, when he puts on the baseball cap to, you know, disguise himself, make it so he's not as noticeable as he's going through this airport. Um, I forget the direction of this, but basically the character was supposed to put on, I think it was a Red Sox hat, but Ben Affleck is a diehard Yankees fan and is like, there's no way in hell that he would ever be caught dead in a uh, Red Sox hat. Sports fans are so pathetic. But that's the thing is like to the point where he held up the entire shoot saying, I am not going to put on that hat. And they eventually came to the uh, compromise, I guess, that he would put on a New York Mets hat instead. But like. That is astounding to me that as a professional actor, he's like, I'll do a lot of things. I will show my dick in this movie, but I will not put on a Red Sox hat. That's, that's just pathetic to me. I yeah. can't even I can't even begin to understand that childish that attitude. Just because you wear a hat for a movie role, no one's going to be like, oh, you're really a fan of that. We disown you from our side. Eh. Like, I'm so stupid. <laughs> If anyway. only he knew the next role he was going to be in was Batman and he'd get just as much hate <laughs> on both sides. Oh, yes, of course, of course. Yeah, this, this mm -hmm. was uh, on the build-up to yeah, Batman v Superman. Yep. That's right. Apparently, uh, one of the things noted here is that if you really watch the movie, you could tell his body going from kind of like dad bod to Batman throughout the course of... like It bounces back and forth because the schedule was obviously not linear, yeah, yeah. but... You can see certain shots where he's like stacked. Hmm, uh, that makes sense. He was probably, yeah, had to train for a while, I imagine, to get his mm -hmm. uh, physique and Batman mode. Yep. After all, yeah, uh, excellent, excellent movie. I, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I think it's it's thrilling. It's got twists. It's got turns. It's got likable characters that you want to see succeed. Uh, even characters you don't necessarily know from the get go that you're going to like, but ultimately you understand. Uh, them better as time goes on and it's saying a lot about relationships about and as you say perception 
mm-hmm. and the writing of the story that people understand and the fact that she comes from like this weird like specific background where her childhood was turned into a, a fictional story that everyone then expects that fictional character from her and how that's yeah. kind of helped warp her mind which even though social media is not brought up a lot in this you could equally or easily turn that into this is a commentary on if you put your child's like life into the public say on social media mm-hmm. and document it heavily and everyone feels that they know your kid then maybe that kid may end up having some weird issues with the expectations that people around yeah. them will have of them you know it's a weird thing where anytime the public sees a story whether it's a true story or a fake story they've already got this inkling in their head that it's fiction regardless of if it's true or not it is a fictional like dramatization that we're seeing and i think that that just furthers this sort of thing where yeah the amazing amy stories the books that were theoretically based off of her have kind of just poisoned her mind into saying that her whole life just needs to be this incredible story and so she's willing to take this like horrible stuff she does but she gives it this sort of spin of a good beginning middle and end a good motive a good everything else to the point where when it does hit the public they're all still treating it like it is this just story being told rather than the lives of these people being ruined because of it yeah yeah uh because at one point i think it's especially when they go after carrie coon like they come and arrest her for questioning because all the stuff was in her tool shed you're Mm -hmm. like oh this is bullshit she is like even if ben affleck's a bit of a dick for having an affair and all that like she Mm -hmm. is completely innocent like no you're ruining an innocent person's life now um and it doesn't come up often but there is just one notable line which i think amy is thinking about the whole well maybe not the whole time but certainly when she's decided to come back Mm -hmm. but tyler perry's he's leaving saying hey you know what? Like your bar is going to be like a hotspot now because it's your place and you're in the news oh, yeah. and you're going to make a book deal. There'll probably be a movie made and you're going to be we're very well off. You should probably thank her. And I'm like, that's what she probably wants. She wants mm-hmm. this like happy ending and the story to come out and them to be this this you know couple in the public eye and have this status. You know, maybe, maybe those amazing Amy books weren't as aren't as popular now as they were when she's a kid. Maybe she's seeking that type of exposure again i don't know Well, i mean the whole thing was that they got engaged because apparently amazing amy in the books was getting married and that's so right. that's she, right. she felt yeah. like she was behind there but if anything i think this is a success on her end because this story is going to eclipse anything that amazing amy could ever do that's a good point yeah you're saying that she's she's spent all this time trying to outdo amazing amy like this is a mm. better story than that her parents could tell yep so like, this the, is her story and anytime it's the sort of thing of like if you googled her name prior to this happening yeah. obviously the book series will come up but post all this her name comes up so she what, shows up what we're really saying is is all of this is her just dealing with her mummy and daddy issues of saying i can be not what you told me i would be but what i made myself to be i am in control of my life yes Yes. Uh, and she's in control of a few other lives by the end of this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, you give her another like 30 years and we're just going to get the first female jigsaw. Do you know, I like. I feel like that's the interesting thing about what this movie sets up is that I don't think there should be a sequel, but I could see an interesting sequel where Ben Affleck's character is trying to like make sure the kid doesn't end up like their mother, mm-hmm. <laughs> like trying to instill better values and trying to like teach them right from wrong and yeah. what perception is. And if her parents messed her up, how is she going to mess up this kid with this way she tackles perception in the story? Like, does the kid know the real heart, or is this all just the mummy figure that she puts on? Because that's part of the story. 
that's an image that I've seen bounced around online a bit is it's two different like colored boxes and they both say, we're not going to mess our kid up like our parents messed up us or messed us up. And then you see the kid who's obviously the merger of the two and it's just labeled with a whole new kind of messed up. <laughs> and that's exactly how I see the kid being here where it's like, they may not have the same issues with like control or abandonment that the mother and father had respectively, but they're going to have issues, no doubt. Mm. Yeah. Uh, or maybe hell, maybe even a sequel where Ben Affleck's character does actually try and kill her and get away with it. And Isn't that the movie Double Jeopardy? Isn't that just what that is? It's a little, it's like, bit, it's a little bit. Like, she's not dead now, though, so you can't call it Double Jeopardy. No, nah, that's true. It that's would just true. be Single Jeopardy. But that, I mean, that could have been ending. You said earlier, maybe the ending of this story could have been he finds her and does kill her for what he's done. Mm -hmm. And at least now he's earned the... The, yeah. the you know the 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 conviction he's earned the the chair he's earned all yeah. the things that's coming his way exactly or even then possibly like because it doesn't make sense from the way that the story was built to the public maybe nobody thinks he actually did it yeah and yeah. he's able to like get away with it yeah so many possibilities no again i'm yeah. not actually saying i want a sequel this is a full form movie oh, yeah. with a, a narrative point it makes its point it is a full meal that feels fulfilling and has worked now on a few different repeat viewings so uh mm -hmm. it's a great movie uh yeah. so that's gone girl i guess it's time to rate it david what are you rating mm -hmm. gone girl i'm looking at the fincher's ratings that i've already handed out obviously i don't know what i'm going to slash already gave the killer but i think that this one feels like an 8.5 for me i think that i i like the social network i like seven i like fight club just that little bit extra more give it that extra half point but this feels on the same part of me as what i gave zodiac it feels like something that is a very engaging watch it's something i can go back to over and over again um i do think there are just a couple things missing from it that keep it from being like a masterpiece it doesn't feel like it's quite earned that status as evident by, I don't think I've really heard many people talk about this movie within even the last, like, five years. It doesn't really seem to come up in conversation. Um, but it does solidly learn, earn its 8.5. It's very well done. Yeah, I'm going with a straight 9, I think. For, for me, it's obviously much better than Fight Club, because I don't like Fight Club very much. That's Yeah, uh, totally. I like it more than Zodiac, and... I'm actually really conflicted as to whether I like this or Social Network more. I think they're they're duking it out kind of on a, a similar. They're very different films and they do different mm -hmm. things, but they both do, they do both of them very well. Um, I think this has more of a plot. It's more of a fun, pulpy narrative that is really fun to like. You know, it's weird to say this is a fun movie because it has some really depressing ideas that yeah. it gets to by the end. But it is kind of fun in some ways, uh, whereas Social Network is a more you know down to earth well kind of <laughs> you know the, the, it's, no, it's, about, it's about people it's about it's about uh relationships and interactions in a way that's not as dramatic and oh there's been a murder kind of thing that this mm. movie is so i'm not going to say which one i prefer but that's i will fair. i've seen this as a nine and that's also what i gave social network so mm -hmm. um so I, I guess i'm saying at least so far and not having seen the killer yet even though time travel wise we did do it last week um, it was so awesome awful <laughs> but at least for me so far this is my and my top three of fincher based on okay. like the ratings i've given so uh very very good so and of course i believe we can agree it makes the cut it does make the cut yes. absolutely i have no problem with that yeah uh 
yeah okay well there you go uh yeah. so we have one more fincher movie left we have yep. one last uh right and it's the only one outside of the killer obviously because it's not out yet uh mm-hmm. that i have not seen and that is mank which came Same out here. during the pandemic it was a straight to netflix black and white movie and i'm looking forward to seeing it finally i, I just never got around to it so yeah We'll see how it is. Uh, but that is coming next week. And of course, you can support all the content over at patreon.com slash TV. And importantly, there's two bonus things you get from us every month, specifically from the collector's cut. At the $3 tier and up, um, it used to be a bonus episode, but starting next month, it's going to be the Criterion Cut, which is our show where we review a movie from the Criterion Collection. And at mm-hmm. the $5 tier and up, the complete opposite of that show is Extra Reels, which is where we review some of the worst movies ever made. Some of yeah. which are hopefully going to be fun because they're so bad, but that's not always the case. Thanks, Tara. Thanks for that. <laughs> so, yes, go check out all that stuff. Plus there's bonuses for other stuff, other movie podcasts and the TV stuff that I do. So mm-hmm. go and check out all that. Uh, but that is the show, so thank you very much for joining us. You can also support everything for free by simply liking on YouTube or rating the podcast if you're listening on iTunes or wherever. Give us five stars. All of that does help out a lot. So thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. Keep watching movies. And, oh, I don't know what you quote from this. I'm disappointed that Rosemont didn't kill someone with a pink. <laughs> <laughs>